All right, welcome back to our Forgotten Lakers podcast. This is our second overall episode. Uh, just did one last night with Fred Roberts, which was a lot of fun. Uh, so now we got Tracy Murray here, played at the Lakers in the 2002-2003 season. You know, for anyone who listened to this, I've had a lot of fun with Tracy on the Forgotten Lakers Instagram over the last few months. Uh, you know, we've been po- I've posted a lot of different pictures of Lakers throughout the years, and it's been cool to have somebody actually respond and comment on them, which is always a lot of fun. I think I had my favorite. I think my favorite one that I did with you was when I said you were the uh, NBA's all-time leading scorer in December when playing on the front end of a back-to-back on the road against an opponent from the other conference who has at least two rookies on the roster who average 13 minutes a game, and you believed me, so that was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where did you get that one from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely made up, just uh, was hoping to get a comment, and it worked, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> One of the first questions um, I'm always interested in when if I get a chance to talk to a former Laker, former professional basketball player is, um, you know, how did you fall in love with the game? Uh, What led you to pursue it as a career? And when did you realize that you were, you know, significantly better than your friends and your teammates and uh, you thought you might have a future in the game? Well, when I was a baby, my dad used to drag me to the gyms and put me in the corner when I was in a stroller. So I was pretty much in a gym when I was in a stroller. So the, the game, you know, it came to me pretty easily. Um, and then when, when I was out of the stroller and my dad would go to the gym, I would tag along. And, you know, just tagging along and shooting on the side. And, you know, I eventually started watching the Lakers when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Norm Nixon were were time. And, and I, I said, Daddy, I want to do that. I want to play basketball on TV. This was like around five years old. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. we'll play basketball on TV. You're going to have to do everything I said. Because my bas- my dad was a pretty good basketball player. He played semi-pro. He had a, a tryout with the Detroit Pistons. You know, he, he, he was around, you know, the Marcus Johnsons of the world, the Reggie Theuses, the Michael Coopers, which, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up in the same hometown, and we were really close to Michael Cooper. So uh, he played on a team with Norm Nixon that I remember when I was a kid. Uh, so when you're playing with those guys, and being a young guy, a young kid, being around it, you're really influenced by it. So mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, early on, you know, through, throughout the work and the 800 to 1,000 shots a day, I, I, came, I became pretty good pretty fast. So, you know, you start developing a confidence in what you do pretty early. Uh, you know, my parents kept me grounded. I've always been humble, but but you, you still got to ha- be confident in, in your ability and know that you're, you're good enough. I think my senior year in high school when I averaged 44 a game and, and uh, we went to the state championship and I was a McDonald's All-American is when I realized that I had a shot. You know, yeah. If you're a McDonald's All-American, you have a shot of getting to that level. Was your uh, dad a sharpshooter like yourself? Yes. Yes. We, uh, my brother and I, we both get our shooting ability from our dad. You know, you, there's, no, there's no escape in the work. You have to put the work in. And it was 800 to 1,000 shots a day. And, and – and I have to be shooting at a 75% clip for me to just end on a thousand. Uh, if, if I was shooting anywhere like 50 to 60%, then I'll go another 500 shots until it felt good. Wow. That's just impressive. Um, so when you said you saw players playing on TV and you realized you wanted to do that, was your goal at that point to play in college or professionally? Well, I didn't know about college at the time. I, I, didn't okay. even know, I didn't even know the Lakers was a job. I was, you know, I, was oh. I just wanted to play basketball on TV. Yeah. So, you know, and if that was the goal, I had that accomplished mm-hmm. in high school when I played in some of these all-star games. Oh, know? sure. 
but I mean, and, and but then you go to college and you play. I played for three years in college, so so definitely the goal um, was just getting on TV as a short term. But you know, but long term, once I knew about uh, the NBA being a job and and you know the potential of playing a game that you have a passion for and that you love for a job and get paid for it. I mean, I was all in with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely incredible. It really takes a love and passion, though. I mean, if you don't love the game and don't have a passion for it, you won't spend those extra t- extra hours in the gym, you know. If you're doing it for the money or for mm-hmm. the fame, you're going to fall short of what you're really trying to do. So, you know, like you say, you're coming out of high school, you realize you have a shot going to the McDonald's All-American game. Was UCLA always number one in your mind, or did you consider other schools coming out of high school? There was other other schools. Uh, my, my top five was, uh, in no particular order, was uh, UNLV, UCLA, Louisville, Villanova, and New Mexico. New Mexico mm-hmm. had Luke Longley at the time. So it was oh, cool. To play with a seven-footer and to be able to provide a serious scoring punch to somebody and be recognized by, you know, the next level early, you know, big numbers as a freshman and sophomore. So that was like a, a long-term, you know, okay, if I want to go here and really put in work, don't really care about getting to the NCAA too much. Then sure. go, you know, Villanova, the, the Big East was hot at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Georgetown, they had Syracuse, you know, and, and, and you know, they were they were extremely hot. You know, every mm-hmm. the, the, the trend at the time was everybody was going Big East or, or West Coast players was going East. So, you know, that was the potential if I went East. Was Bill and yeah. I had a special relationship. Rest in peace, Roly Massimino. He uh, passed away recently. But uh, we had a very special relationship with, you know, with him and his son, Tom, who was his assistant. Louisville had uh, my cousin, Alan Houston, at the time. He was signed to go there because his dad was his assistant coach to Jenny Crum. He took the job over at Tennessee, and Alan went with him. So that kind of ah. pushed out Louisville. Um, I knew you were cousins with Lamont Murray. I didn't realize you were also cousins with Alan Houston. That's yeah. really cool. Yes. I mean, so, you know, shooters and scorers running in the family. Yeah, <laughs> that's neat. <laughs> and, and then the, uh, the other situation was um, – was UNLV, man, and and uh, I was – my dad played for Tark back in junior college, man, Pasadena City College. So I, I was almost really, like, signed, sealed, and delivered to Tark because I knew how much he cared and loved his players and he'll do anything for them. Uh, Stacy Augman and I grew up together in Pasadena. Yeah, so you would have been with him and Larry Johnson as well? Yes, yes. Yeah. That, that 91 championship team, and I knew mm-hmm. him and I knew – um, uh, Greg Anthony. So it's been a great fit for me to, to go over there and, and be a shooter amongst all of those great athletes. Um, but they weren't on probation. You know, there was, you know, there was that infamous picture in a, in a, you know, a, a jacuzzi with a mobster. And, and yeah. all of a sudden, you know, those rumors started going around that they were going on probation. So uh, that kind of, and I had a, you know, I had a real special relationship with that coach and staff because my high school would always go up to their team camps preseason. Mm-hmm. We'd be up in Las Vegas playing in, in team camps, uh, you know, against some of the best high schools, you know, in the nation, you know, learning mm-hmm. from the best, learning yeah. from the national championship program, you know. So that's where I was really close to UNLV. And UCLA has always, uh, always been there. You know, it's always been a dream to go to UCLA and play in that tradition and that program that, that Coach Wooden built. 
Um, mm-hmm. Of course, I wouldn't be playing for Coach Wooden, but there were so many greats like Kareem, who was my favorite player at the time. Sure. Uh, to, to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, so then you come into the NBA, the 92 draft, the star-studded draft, you know, got Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, Leitner, everybody. I think you were drafted by the Spurs, but ended up being traded to Portland. So I mean, this is a Laker-oriented podcast, but I do want to touch on a little bit of your earlier career, if that's okay. Um, moving on to Houston, you were a part of the 95 championship team. I was curious, what was the game plan like going in against Orlando? Obviously, Orlando was heavily favored um, in that series going into it. I think they were the number one seed. You guys might have been the number six seed, right. I think. Yeah. And um, so what was the game plan? No home court advantage. You're dealing with a young Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway. Were you all confident or how did, it, how did that work out going into game one? Extremely confident to the point that it concerned me as a young player. You know, I've never mm-hmm. been on a team that was so confident and so calm and so relaxed and so poised. Uh, even when we were down early in the playoffs to Utah, Tracy, don't worry about it. Sit back, relax. We got this. Came back and won that. Kevin Johnson was on fire with the Phoenix Suns. We could not mm-hmm. stop him. He had a couple of 40-point games in that series. Yeah. Marley, Marley, you know, they had a squad. We mm-hmm. got by them. And they gave the MVP trophy to David Robinson that year in the Spurs fire. When we got to that series, there was a different Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, I love watching those YouTube clips of that series. He he saw that his MVP trophy, because he was the the MVP the year before, his MVP trophy given to David Robinson when he was still dominant and, and killed everybody that year and deserved it again. It was mm-hmm. just he didn't do as well. So, I mean, he literally destroyed David Robinson the whole, <laughs> the whole series. So going through the West like that, and honestly, the West has always been the best conference. Going up against Shaq and Orlando, we knew we had the experience. And, and that experience really showed uh, in the finals sweep them you know yeah. I mean, Nick Anderson missing four free throws in a row mm-hmm. uh, that, that pretty much changed his career too I mean oh yeah it's never the same line he never wanted to post up anymore because he was afraid of getting fouled and going back to the free throw line he just settled for perimeter jump shots after that and the same and uh but but dream was awesome Clyde uh you know towards the end of his Portland situation it just seemed like the age was catching up but when he got back to Houston it just seems like it gave him a new jolt and he was young again mm-hmm. saw him gliding again yeah and dunking on people and, and scoring like he did and and being that second best two guard in the league behind Michael Jordan you know he, he became dominant again mm-hmm. to see both of those guys happy to be playing with each other again and that chemistry between those two that was huge yeah you still have your ring handy Yes, I do. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, so after Houston, you were part of the first Toronto Raptors team in 96. People probably forget you were one of the 10 teams to beat the Bulls that year, which is, you know, quite an accomplishment. What I thought was interesting was besides actually beating them, it seemed like you guys always played them close, like yeah. every meeting that year. So what do you think it was about that Raptors team? Did they just – were there key matchups across the board, or were the Bulls maybe – you know, a little overconfident going against an expansion team. Maybe it was a combination of both. What do you think it was? We matched up really well with them. And mm-hmm. um, I knew that one game that year we were going to beat them because they played them tough. It was their experience at the end that pulled through. And, you know, mm-hmm. of course, when you have the baddest man on the planet, yeah. you take over a game at any time. And, and that's what happened. And, and then if the game, even the game that we won, 
Mm-hmm. A half a second from going into overtime because he banked it off the glass in the end, but it was just after the buzzer. And, uh, you know, we got out by the skin of our teeth, but we really matched up well with them. We beat mm-hmm. Orlando that year with Shaq and Penny. Uh, we, we pushed the Lakers really hard when in Magic's come back and they had mm-hmm. the Nick Van Exel and those guys, Eldon Campbell. We, we beat some really good teams that year. We were in every game. Just mm-hmm. about, we probably were only blown out once or twice as an expansion team. The key yeah. to the team is that we played extremely hard minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an older guy, 36-year-old vet on the team that, that was out for two years with a back surgery named Alvin Robertson. And when you have the oldest guy on the team that played the hardest – fresh off of a back surgery, haven't played in two years, and he's playing like he wanted a second chance. Most of us on that team needed a second chance. So if this guy is older and he's playing hard, we got to match his intensity. We got to match how hard he's playing. We can't. If you have any type of pride, you never let a guy that's older than you just out-hustle out you and outwork you. Mm-hmm. So he, his, we call him the Raptor to this day because oh, cool. that's the way – you know, we wanted that program and that organization. That was the example of how to play. Then, obviously, you were went to the Wizards, or I guess the, they were the Bullets at the time. Yes. Yeah. Then the Wizards, and you're one of the you're in the select company of having a 50 point game that you did with the Wizards. What do you remember most about that game? I know it was at Golden State. Uh, some of your key guys were out, like Juwan Howard, Chris Weber. Um, but w- I mean, when you think about that game, is there, are there specific plays you remember, specific shots, a specific feeling? What do you remember most? It's funny you said that. A friend of mine that, that works on a radio show that I did last night, he sent me the clips last night again, so I was reminded of it again. Oh, cool. Um, every February 10th, you know, <laughs> somebody's always bringing it up and, and, and uh, saying that it's the anniversary of my 50-point game. So I'm reminded every February 10th of it. Um, mm-hmm. What I remember clearly about that game was every time I walk into Oakland, uh, the, the arena over there, I had a 64-point game in there as a state champion uh, uh, in the state championship game. We oh, lost, I didn't realize that. We lost, but you know, I still have. I'm tied with Rick Barry with one of the highest scoring uh, outputs in that arena. So mm-hmm. um, I had extreme confidence walking up in there you know and that night I knew we were shorthanded with Chris and Juwan out there was gonna be plenty of shots um the game was really important to win uh, and and they had guys that were out too um Brian Shaw was out Bimbo Coles was out uh, there's a couple other guys that was out that were contributors and so this was an opportunity to go steal a game the first game back from all-star break so uh we went out there and I got off to a somewhat of a slow start, but uh, once uh, Strick got going and, and then I got going and both of us, uh, we were on fire and uh, we had a monster night together. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Rod Strickland. I was going to ask about him. It seems like his name comes up a lot when people talk about the most underrated players of the yeah. 90s. So uh, what do you think or why do you think he's so overlooked Is it, you know, a lack of you know, individual success, team success, but, uh, you know, his name's constantly brought up when people talk about underrated players. Well, Strick, he, he marched to the beat of his own drum. You know what I mean? It's like, he, he, Strick was going to be Strick, and then, and then, you know, 
maybe maybe he wasn't the 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 company guy that they wanted him to be sometimes you can't do the political thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. sometimes it's just not you you know mm-hmm. as an outstanding basketball player one of the best guards to ever play in the nba out of new york city he is that guy i mean yeah. i've seen him destroy top 50 guys i've seen him destroy perennial all-stars and for him not to be an all-star at any point it was a travesty Sure. This dude was one of the – he was my teammate for six and a half years. I had him in Portland when I first got there and then ended Mm -hmm. up in Washington for four years with him there. Mm -hmm. One of the best guards I've ever played with, one of the best teammates you'll ever have. Um, I really really enjoyed my time playing with him. He made the game so much easier. What's he doing now? He was coaching um, at Kentucky with with, Mm -hmm. uh, Calipari, and then he went over – and was at, I think it was uh, Florida International for a second with, um, and then now he's uh, he's doing some broadcasting stuff right now. And, and has a, a podcast that, that he's doing. And, and you know, he, he has a lot of knowledge of the game and, and, and mm-hmm. knows, a, knows a ton and, and has coached on the college level for years. So mm-hmm. uh, played on the pro level for years. So he has just as much knowledge as we all do. So, so mm-hmm. why not go express it over the microphone? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, so if it's okay with you, I'd like to get on to your season with the Lakers. Okay. How did you find out? I believe it was through a trade that you had been <laughs> traded to the Lakers. Uh, so, I mean, was that growing up in California? Was it your dream? And like you said, you wanted to play for the Lakers when you were little. So right. what was that feeling like when you got the word that you'd been traded to the Lakers? Well, I, I had just worked my way back to Toronto. And I was happy with being back and playing with Vince. And, and, and um, there was a, a situation where uh, at the end of that season, I pulled myself out early um, so I can be ready for my last year of the contract. I, I went and had an arthroscopic hip surgery. I had loose bodies and bone spurs in my right hip. Uh, and it was preventing me from being my best on the floor. And so I sat out during the playoffs and everything. But, you know, when you have an arthroscopic hip surgery and it's brand new and mm-hmm. only a handful of guys have had it, uh, and I'm being, me being a wing player, they're looking at how difficult, you know, the, the recovery would be and that I would never come back to the person that I would be. So the Raptors, you know, they dealt me on draft day. And now I'm on – <laughs> doing the the uh, the draft show on radio on the Fan 590 up in Toronto. I'm sitting at home on the phone. I'm sitting at home in L.A. on the phone back there doing the draft show. And I get a call from my agent. I had to step away from the the, the show for a second. I'll, I'll, I'll patch back in in a minute. So I came back on. I said, well, I guess I have to break my own trade. <laughs> oh, wow. I said, uh, Kareem Rush and I are going to the Lakers for Lindsey Hunter and Chris Jeffries. So, Toronto was, uh, you know, once again, I'm, I'm gone. And, and I want to tell you guys, you know, I love you guys. And, and I appreciate, you know, you guys embracing Tracy Murray the way you have over the years. And, you know, it was a, a bittersweet thing. I was happy to be back in Toronto, but I was even happier to be coming home and playing for the Lakers. Oh, I bet. A thing that made me sad, though, that summer. Uh, coming in, I was, you know, part of my dream was always having Chick Hearn calling my game as a Laker. Chick Hearn passed away that summer. So yeah. he never called any of my games as a Laker. So that was pretty sad. And 
you know, I miss Chick, rest in peace. That 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 golden voice for the Lakers, man. And you know, when you're growing up in LA, you you, you just want to hear him call your name. And now he's called plenty of my games against the Lakers, but you know, I, I, it would have been nice to have him call my game as a Laker. Yeah, that would have been so cool. Um, so you're joining a team that's coming off their third straight NBA championship, and uh, I know you mentioned your hip surgery. Were you able to participate in a Phil Jackson training camp that year? Yes, or? I did. I mean, it was one of those situations. If I didn't, I would have been behind. Uh, coming back early, I wasn't at my best. So it was a damn if you do, damn if you don't. And I, and, but I chose to go through it, you know, because mm-hmm. I wanted to be one of the guys. I, I didn't want to be the, that guy sitting on the side, everybody else working their tail off, and then everybody looking at me like, when are you coming back? I didn't, I didn't want to be, be that guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I got through, I pushed through, I got through training camp, but I wasn't my best. I, I, I wasn't knocking down my shot on a consistent basis. I wasn't uh, moving well yet. Uh, I didn't have any explosiveness back in my body yet to 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 dunk the ball or finish around the rim. Mm-hmm. You know, I was already not not a great defender, so you know mm-hmm. now I take away, you know, a little bit of explosiveness or a little bit of movement, and now I'm worse. So, you know, I, I wasn't a hundred percent until halfway through the season. You know that that year, there the Lakers got off a slow start. Shaq missed an early part of the year. He had a delayed an off-season toe surgery. Right. You know, I'm a huge Lakers fan. I've read summaries of all of like Shaq seasons and everything, and I've read this quote multiple times where he said, "If he got hurt on company time, he was going to heal on company time." Meaning he like delayed his surgery to miss part of training camp. Was that something that was you know talked about in the locker room? Did you get did the team have an opinion about it, or was it just kind of Shaq being Shaq? Well, Shaq was like my brother, you know, was the same yeah. we were McDonald's All-Americans together. We were in the same draft. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, his kids call me Uncle Tracy. My kids call him Uncle Shaq. So, you know, we've been really good friends since before we had kids, you know. So I think people knew that mm-hmm. in there. So yeah. the chatter wasn't going to happen around me. That's good. You know, plus, you know, Shaq was one of the beloved you know, teammates. I, I don't think anybody was going to talk mm-hmm. about Shaq because he always looked out for people. Sure. You know. But yeah, he's my, he's my favorite player as a kid. Yeah, it was never discussed around me. So Then that year, uh, individually, one of Kobe's greatest seasons, uh, you know, statistically, uh, he had nine straight 40-point games. He had, you know, 55 against the Wizards. Like, what do you remember most about, you know, his individual exploits that year? Uh, Shaq wasn't there, so he was going to be extremely aggressive. And anybody knows Kobe knows he's extremely ambitious. He wants to be the best, um, but as a, a, a his teammate and role player, you know, you would have liked to have been included a little bit, you know. But he was extremely aggressive. He, he knew that no one can stop him. He's extremely talented, mm-hmm. and, and he just tried to, you know, just go right from the tip and put the team on his back and do it himself. We know that he can put the ball in the hole, no question, <laughs> you know, no question about it. But I, I had the joy of, um, you know, coming back as a coach and coaching with the team his last year. And, yeah. And just, you know, seeing him mature over the years, be a father, be at his 20th year, for him to look back at all the things that he's – when, when, you're, when you're in the moment, you don't have time to sit back and look at what you've done you're concentrating on the next season. 
and the way everybody celebrated him that last year and you know for him to kind of reflect a little bit and and and, and not be black mamba be <laughs> be kobe bryant and, and just mm-hmm. kind of soak it all in to see him emotional a little bit he never thought people would love him like that on the way out so much mm-hmm. you know, i mean this dude he he's truly one of the greats and and both jerseys being retired, number eight and twenty-four, well, mm-hmm. he deserves it, man. Deserves it. Yeah, that's very true. He's uh, him and Shaq both two of my favorite players. Yeah. Um, you know, another game that season I wanted to ask you about. You know, I grew up in the Dallas area. There was a game in early December that year where the uh, Mavericks were running the Lakers off the court, and I'm watching it with my friends. I'm a Lakers fan. They're all Mavericks fans, so they're all giving me crap. I remember sitting in my living room, <laughs> just wanting to turn off the TV, trying to change positions, trying to do anything I could to ch- turn it around for the Lakers. They all go on to have uh, the biggest comeback in NBA history in a regular season game. So what do you remember most about that game in terms of the mood at halftime versus the mood after the fourth quarter when you know Kobe hit the game winner and you all walked off the, walked off the floor? Well, at halftime, you know, it was quiet, and, you know, and, and Phil was, you know, ripping us, you know, hey, wake up, you know, have some pride, you know, don't let anybody come do this to you on your own home floor, you know, so we came out in the third quarter, you know, kind of made some runs or whatever, you know, and then it got to the point where Phil thought the game was over. So in come the reserves, me, Pargo, Rush, Kobe stayed out there. Then all of a sudden, we're getting stops. We're getting buckets. We're getting stops. We're getting buckets. Okay, we done chopped it down to 15. Let's keep going. Yeah. We're getting stops. We're getting buckets. Now we're in the game. Now the starters have rested so long, they're fresh. They came in, and they took us home, and and that was the biggest comeback in Laker history. And and just to go – walk out of the locker room at halftime feeling like we're getting our ass handed to us, come back in the locker room afterwards with a W. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, it was almost, it was euphoric, man. It was, it was one of those situations like, wow, did we just do that against that team? Because <laughs> you know, the Mavericks were good. You know? Oh, yeah, they were great that year oh, for sure. Nothing you can do with Dirk, man. Not that yeah, time. Dirk and Nash, Michael Finley was still an all-star at the time, so – Exactly. They were a very good team. Yeah, I remember uh, dreading going to school. I think it was a Friday. It was either a Friday night or a Saturday night. And I remember dreading going to school on Monday at halftime, just all the <laughs> shit I was going to get. <laughs> then you guys were able to pull it out, so thank you. Yeah, you went out there with your, your number one finger in the air. I told you we were going to. Oh, do yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> so then in the playoffs that year, uh, I know you were hurt. You know, the Lakers got through Minnesota and then – face San Antonio, a team they'd beaten the last few years in the playoffs, lose the first two, win the next two. Game five, have a huge comeback in the fourth quarter. One shot to win it. Who else do you want but big shot Rob taking that? And I've never seen a ball go that far in and pop out as that game five missed by Robert Ory. So um, what do you remember about that game and, you know, the mood after that shot didn't go down and then obviously losing in game six? So what do you remember about those two games? Well, I, I knew if if we won that game, we were going to win the series. You know, uh, and, 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 you know, to get robbed the ball, I thought that shot was in. But, I mean, a lot of people didn't understand. Um, at that time, I was on the injury list hurt. Rick Fox got hurt. Yeah, I remember versus Minnesota. Devin George wasn't mm-hmm. 100%. He was hurt. So, 
the injury bug at the small forward spot was killing us. So we had to play Kareem Rush a lot. We had to play Gennaro Pargo a lot. You know, we had to go small and use use different lineups that we haven't used before to try to beat the Spurs. You know, so I mean, Shaq and Kobe, of course, and Rob and Fish were going to do their thing, but they're not used to being without Devin or being without uh, Rick. You know, mm-hmm. at, the, at the you know those those are important guys. They still had B. Shaw, but B. Shaw was more of the, the, the point. He played behind. Yeah. And, and even Pargo was, was getting a little bit more run than, than B. Shaw at the time. So mm-hmm. it's like that experience was missing from those championship teams. And when you're trying to go for four and do something special that's never been done, you need the whole crew together and ready to go. You need to be 100%. And, and we weren't. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was uh... – Aaron being really bummed out, being so confused. Like, you know, you guys were done, I guess, in early May, and I'd been so used to the Lakers playing through mid-June. I was like, what's going on? I'm not used to this. Right, but, uh, right. And, and, I, and, you know, if I'm going to be traded from somewhere where I'm happy, you know, to come back home, I wanted another ring. Oh, yeah, so, I would think so. You know, that to not have a Laker ring, that somewhat hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, to – you know, there was a lot of sacrifices that happened that year for me individually. Coming in, going through training camp, and when I'm not ready, really fighting hard, and then when I finally get healthy, not be given a chance because, you know, he already established a rotation that he liked. Um, and then at the end, to, to, you know, be healthy enough to be on the roster – but he didn't put me on the roster and kept the young boys on the roster. That was something, you know, in, in, my, in our exit meeting, he said he wished, you know, he wouldn't have done that. He would have kept me on. He said, oh, yeah, that's interesting. He had to do it all over again. He would have kept me on because of experience. It's, sure. I've been in the playoffs. I've played in playoff games. You know, I've mm-hmm. played against the Bulls and against his team and played extremely well. You know, so it's in me. I have another focus when it comes to playoffs, you know, and it goes all the way back high school, college, if there's playoffs, my numbers go up. And, you know, I was really hurt not to be in a Laker uniform, you know, helping them out when they needed help. But, but what could I do? They're, they're, you know, the, now they have rules where you can take people off an inactive list and put them on. They should call that the Tracy Murray rule because it happened to me twice. I guess in Houston as well, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I actually, you know, turned my ankle the last game uh, pretty bad. And I, I think that uh, they didn't think I was going to be ready enough to, to be ready to go because it, it was pretty bad. But, you know, I was against the Jazz that last game. But uh, whether whether that was the excuse or not of not putting me on there, I mean, it happened to me twice. You know, so, I mean, they always put the word, you know, the rules under the superstar's name, like the Larry Bird exception. Yeah. It's time to put that rule as the Tracy Murray exception. I I need to go on. I need to go on right now out there and start putting that out there. That's the Tracy Murray rule. It it literally happened to me twice. That's interesting. I could have helped. One, we won the championship. So, you know, Mm -hmm. not as much help with that team. But I could have helped the Lakers that year. Yeah, I've, I've thought so. Cause I mean, another shooter never hurts. Right. Um, you always need guys that can put the ball in the hole, especially during playoff time, because not everybody's used to that pressure. It's one last question for you. So if you, let's say you could go uh, in your prime, 
have a shooting contest. You and two other guys versus Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kyle Korver. Who are you picking for your other two guys? Me, Reggie Miller, and Dale Curry. Ah, I was thinking one would be Del Curry. I was curious about who else you would pick. I was wondering if it might be Glenn Rice or Reggie, but that's interesting you go with Reggie. I go with, yeah, I go with the most clutch shooter ever, in my opinion. Reggie is the most clutch. Yeah. I mean, you've seen what he did against the Knicks. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know he's, a, he's a killer, man. You know, and, and Dale is one of the most pure shooters I've ever seen on the, you know, we, we have – We've all had, like, you know, shooting – you know, we all used to shoot against each other at some point. You know what I mean? When I was a kid and I was in eighth grade, I used to shoot with Reggie at, at uh, the uh, Michael Cooper, Kurt Rambis fantasy camp that was at Brentwood High School. Reggie was oh. over there as a speaker and came over there, and I got to shoot around with him there. So I knew Reggie when I was in the eighth grade. Um, plus, he's from Riverside North, which is out my way, you know. In the, in the Inland Empire area, you know, and, and Reggie's from out that way, Reggie and Cheryl. So, you know, we've had a lot of stuff in common going to UCLA, you know. He, you know, once I shot with him in eighth grade, he, he kind of followed me a little bit. You know? Oh, that's cool. And I kind of, <laughs> you know, looked up to him too because he played at UCLA in a program mm-hmm. that I admired. We were similar players, perimeter long-range bombers. Uh, and, and pretty clutch shooters when called upon. So sure. I've always looked up to Reggie, and I, I always uh, admired him and always been a, a good friend uh, as well. Um, but Del Curry, man, can flat out shoot the ball. We were teammates in Toronto. I was just waiting for the times that they would put both of us out there together and have us both running off of screens, but that never happened. They always put one in for the other. They had both of us on the on the floor at the same time with Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. Oh. Dangerous. Sure. So uh, he was there with you in Toronto, so you probably have some memories of a little Steph Curry running around. Yes, of course. Steph and Seth, every yeah. day, uh, they will be behind the, – they, they'll be out on the floor shooting before we come out there. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, you know, up in Toronto, things were a little bit loose. Mm-hmm. You know, that wouldn't happen, like – in the United States, like at Staples Center, a kid be shooting on the floor before the game. That wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. I don't, they don't care whose son it is. Yeah. But in Toronto, they let, you know, Steph and Seth shoot before the games and stuff. So mm-hmm. we'd come out there for warm-ups, and then they'll go on the side. They had seats right behind the bench. Um, and then halftime, they would go up. They had passes. They had Dale's pass where they would go up, use the pass to the, to the uh, practice facility, and go up and shoot. And then Dale would bring them in after practices. You know, mm-hmm. the mom would drop them off at the arena. And then they would be training right after our practices. So, yeah, I mean, they were very young. They were getting it in. They were around us all the time. Uh, you couldn't help – you can't help but be great or, or, or two NBA players if you're around it all the time. You have yeah. to, your dad is an NBA player. You're around it all the time. You're in the facility, you know. Mm-hmm know what it takes so it's no surprise that those two guys are in the NBA and doing well so are you um doing any coaching now uh are you still involved with the Lakers at all I read like conflicting things online so I wasn't sure no no I'm no longer involved with the Lakers I was only there that one year broadcasting with UCLA for eight years before that and uh the only reason why I left was because I was promised something different than actually happened 
Um, so I was very blessed that I was able to go back to the UCLA broadcast and get my old job back. So I'm oh, great. UCLA. I've been there for, for a couple of years now. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to be back and I'm not going anywhere anymore. You know, yeah. that, that experiment is over. Now, my, 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 the, the coaching fix that I get is I work with a bunch of youngsters in my brother's program, prodigyathletic.com is mm-hmm. the site. Uh, but Prodigy Athletic is, is our program. And program, he's been doing it for over 10 years. And uh, it started with just training. And, then it, you know, we had so many kids that we were training and we wanted to make sure that they got the, the proper opportunity to showcase their talents in front of college coaches. So my brother created his AAU teams mm-hmm. from that. So all of the kids we train, we put them, you know, in, in the right situation where they can showcase their talents in front of the coaches with, with different coaches that we have that are helping out with the training so they know how to exploit their talents and their talents and hide their weaknesses. So um, I, I think my brother's doing an excellent job. We don't have any shoe, shoe sponsors or nothing like that. We go out there and beat those teams. And, you know, and, and that's how you go and snatch scholarships if you're guys that are pretty much under the radar. Go beat those teams that, that have the shoe companies and, and have the special leagues and, you know, you, you beat those guys that are high up on the radar, then you're going to start getting noticed. Well, that sounds good. like some great work your brother's doing. That's must be, you must be pretty proud of him. Yes, I am. He's doing yeah. that. Uh, well, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I really appreciate this, Tracy. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm just trying to get this off the ground. Like I said, you're the only, you're the second guy I've talked to. So I have a lot of invitations out there, but not too many guys have responded. Uh, that's all right, man. Uh, it, just keep doing what you do. Put it out online, and and, mm-hmm. and some people would, you know, people will start coming. Cool. You know, I'm happy that Fred Roberts was the first one. He's a good guy. I played against him when he was on the Lakers. Yeah. So he, I was with the Raptors. He was on the Lakers. So um, I'm glad that uh, a couple of guys have responded. But just keep plugging at them, man, and you know, guys will start coming. Yeah, actually, I uh, got one request or one reply from Slava Medvedenko. Oh, um, I said hello to my teammate. He, yeah, your old teammate. So he told me he was going to be in L.A. in late October, and he might be able to make something work then. So I'm crossing my fingers that works out. Oh, he's probably is, – is, uh, is Kobe getting his jersey retired late October? I want to say that's sometime in December, but I could be wrong. Okay, okay. okay. I yeah. I out for that. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be. Uh, I could be wrong. I thought Kobe's thing was in December, but it might be October. I'll have to check. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure either. I'm going to try to get to the game for that, too, to support him. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks again. Hope everything goes well with UCLA, and uh, I'll talk to you soon on the Forgotten Lakers Instagram account. Definitely. Take care. All right. Sounds great. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.